Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How good to be with you always, always. I'm going to cough a little bit during this program. Hold on a moment. Because this cold is lasting and lasting. It's a virus kind. And I've gotten uh, a number of calls and texts on what I should do with it, and I'm doing all of it. So, um, uh I uh, hope to be rid of it soon, but I did hear uh, that some of you may have this too. It lasts and lasts and lasts. So with me, it's really lasting, but I'm so glad to be able to be with you. And um, I love you all because we're one family in Christ and God is our Father. Um, Our Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior and the Holy Spirit dwells within every one of us who has been baptized, and who has not turned from God. So I don't know if that's a good summary of the Christian life, but it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful to be Christian. I feel that way. I wake up in the morning and I say, whatever's going on in the world, whatever's going on with um, our our bodies, uh, in the church, all of that, God is on his throne. How How do we know that? Because he exists and he told us. He is God. He's in control. He knows what he's doing. Um, We don't have all the answers, but we know the one who has all the answers. And that's enough for me. We need to be children and trust God. And so one of the ways to really know and to trust God is to know who he is and to know about him and what he does. And what he does shows us uh, who he is and what he is. Often when um, people ask me how to study the Bible, uh, the best thing I've ever um, I come up with it, it's, I've been saying it and using it so long, I don't know if I came up with it or gave it from someone else or got it from someone else, I don't remember anymore, but it is to keep a journal and to write down four questions. Number one, in whatever passage you read, what is true of God in this passage? What is true of God? If you're reading Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, he created the beginning was God. Where did he come from? He didn't come from anything. He was in the beginning. And he created all that is. And so we could say, well, if God created all that is, what's true about God? Well, then he's all powerful. And one of the um, one of his creations is us. So what's true of us? In the chapter that only speaks about all that God created, which includes us, um, what's true of us in that in that chapter? Well, we didn't do anything in Genesis chapter 1, which means we're not all-powerful. God created us. He's all-powerful, and we're not all-powerful. And the third, so what, question number one, what is, what is true of God? Not what has he done, but what is true of him, a characteristic, an attribute, because of what he's done. And when we get 
What's true of God, let's say in the example we just took, he's all-powerful. What's true of us, his creature? We're not all-powerful. That's it. We don't know anything else about us except that we were created. We're not all-powerful. And question number three, what does that have to do with my life today, huh? Question number three, well, let's say I'm out of work and have a family to support. God's all-powerful and I'm not. He can take care of us. Let me continue to do, let me pray, let me continue to do my part and trust God to take care of his children. And finally, number four is really a prayer. With Based on what's true of God, he's in control, he's all-powerful. What's true of us, we're not all-powerful. Um, what has that got to do with my life today, that God can handle my problems? And um, And finally, I'll write a prayer and say, Lord... If you're all-powerful and I'm not, please, would you handle this situation for me today? Please, would you help this soul who's turned from you to come back? And just end it in a prayer. Please, Lord, let me go to work or let me walk about the family knowing who you are. And let that be projected in my life uh, through my trust of you. And in fact, it's what we've been reading. We've been reading... Um, the uh, the faith, the catechism explained an exhaustive explanation of the Catholic religion by Spirago Clark, and it's it's an entire it's the Catechism of Trent explained, and it's just wonderful. I am finding it wonderful. So we jumped in. Um, where do we jump in? We jumped in at page. We jumped in at the introduction. Where did that go? Hold on, I'm so sorry. So the introduction said, I'm not going to always be summing this up once we pass them, but we're right at the beginning now, so let me do it. We jumped in at page 73 of this catechism, and the first question is, in the introduction, for what end are we on this earth? For what end are we on this earth? And the answer is this, we are upon this earth in order that we may glorify God and so win for ourselves eternal happiness. We talked about what it is to glorify God. It is to so reflect him as we are reflected when we look into a mirror, to so reflect the glory, the attributes, the very being of God in us, that people know that God is in us and that God exists through us. And the second question is, how are we to obtain eternal happiness? And there's three answers to that. The first We shall attain to eternal happiness by, number one, striving to know God by means of faith in the truths he has revealed to us. I remember an old saying of Mark Twain, ain't the things I don't know that trouble me, it's the things I do, (laughs) right? The things we do know, uh, God has enabled us to know, and those are the things we're, we're accountable for living. So first... Um, we will enter into eternal happiness first by fulfilling the will of God by keeping his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So number one, we strive to know God by means of faith in the truths he's revealed to us. And two, we fulfill the will of God by keeping his commandments. And three, we must therefore avail ourselves of the means of grace of which the chief are Holy Mass, the sacraments, and prayer. Okay, this is written for Catholics. 
this is true for every soul who's ever breathed, every soul alive today. Every word I'm reading is true for you, regardless of your faith, regardless of your religion. These, these are God's truths and true for every soul alive on the face of the earth. And then number three, how can we attain perfect happiness on earth? How? Okay. Um, so the first two points we covered uh, Monday and Tuesday, and today, Wednesday, we're going on to how. How, um, uh, actually it's not how, it's can we attain per- perfect happiness on earth? That's the question. Can we attain perfect happiness on earth? And here's the answer, beloved. Earthly goods, such as riches, honor, pleasure, cannot by themselves make us happy. For they cannot satisfy our soul. They often make life bitter and invariably forsake us in death. This world and the riches and the pleasures of this world could never make us happy. Temporarily. But that's not eternal lasting happiness. Absolutely not. And the authors say, earthly goods deceive us. They are like soap bubbles, which reflect all the colors of the rainbow, but are really only drops of water. Earthly joys are like artificial fruit, beautiful to behold, but disappointing to the taste. Earthly pleasures are like drops of water. They do not quench the fire of the passions, but only make it burn more fiercely. Man can no more be happy without God than a fish can live out of water. Hence, St. Augustine says, quote, Unquiet is the heart of man until it rests in God. End quote. Quote, Unquiet is the heart of man until it rests in God. End quote. We've heard it another way. Lord, St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, and the heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. No sensible or material goods will nourish or satisfy the soul. Hence, our Lord says to the Samaritan woman, quote, he who drinks of this water will thirst again. That is, he who drinks of the water of this world, the passing things of this world, will thirst again. Your thirst will never be quenched. Riches will no more satisfy the soul than salt water will quench thirst. In the days of the early empire of Rome, when riches and sensual pleasures abounded, suicide was most widely um, uh, prevalent. You hear that, beloved? In the days of the early uh, empire of Rome, when riches and sensual pleasures abounded, suicide was most widely relevant. Earthly possessions are a continual source of anxiety. Did you, I mean, people that you go to poor countries, you go where they don't have clothes, they walk around mostly naked and they get their day's food, maybe it's a meal, um, and there's no anxiety. They're not anxious. We say they're poor, but they're not poor. They have what they need, and they're not poor. 
and they don't look for more. Earthly possessions are a continual source of anxiety. He who rests in them is tormented by them, like a man who reposes on thorns. As the fresh waters of the rivers are changed into the salt waters of the sea, so all earthly pleasures sooner or later turn to bitterness. Forbidden pleasures soon bring uh, misery after them, like the forbidden fruit. They are like Um, They are like bait that has a book concealed within it. Earthly goods all forsake us when we die. Quote, we brought nothing into the world, and certainly we cannot carry anything out of it. End quote. And that's from 1 Timothy chapter 6. When when the Pope is crowned, a handful... um, Let me reread this. When the Pope is crowned, a handful of tow is kindled, and while while it blazes up, the choir sing, thus passes the glory of the world. As the spider spins a web out of its own bowels, and in a moment the broom sweeps it all away, So man labors for long years to obtain some honor or possession or office or title. Some obstacle comes in, an obstacle comes in the way, death or sickness visits him, and all the labor is gone for naught. As the the glow worm shines in the night, but in the light of the day is but an ugly insect. Did you know that? The glowworm shines in the night, but during the day it doesn't shine. It's just a, well, he says an ugly insect. He's calling what God created ugly. But a lot of insects, I call that too. So the delights of earth are brilliant during the night of life on earth. But under the light of the day, Uh, under the light of the day of judgment, will those themselves, will show themselves vain and worthless. Oh, how many times do we need to read it? How many times do we need to fail? How many times do we need to have our treasures taken from us? How many times do we need to be disappointed and experience loss and theft and everything else before we learn this lesson? How many times, beloved? I don't know. But I know, I do know, that the sooner we learn that lesson, this lesson, the happier and the freer we will be. The truth said our Lord will set us free. It will always, always, always set us free. And the degree to which we struggle this side of earth in losing things, in not having possession of them, is the degree to which we are not detached. It's the degree to which we are attached from earthly things, from the things of this world. We need to grow and be detached from them. And the author says, only the gospel of Christ is capable of giving us a partial happiness on earth. For he who follows the teaching of Christ is certain to have peace in his soul. 
because he follows the teaching of Christ. That's more than a sentence. He's been following what happiness is made of. And it is made of being in union with the will of God. Nothing else will make us happy. Nothing else will bring us to happiness. And the authors say, this is why Christ says to the Samaritan woman, he that shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall not thirst forever. And again, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. The teaching of Christ can alone satisfy the heart of man. The reason of this is that earthly sufferings do not uh, render unhappy the man who follows Christ. So, our section is, Can We Attain Perfect Happiness on Earth? And there's four parts to this answer. Number one, earthly goods such as riches, honor, pleasure, cannot themselves make us happy, for they cannot satisfy our soul. They often only make life bitter and invariably forsake us in death. The second point is, only the gospel of Christ is capable of giving us a partial happiness on earth. For he who follows the teaching of Christ is certain to have peace in his soul. And number three, he who follows Christ will have to endure persecution, but those uh, persecutions can do him no harm. I'll reread that. He who follows Christ will have to endure persecution, but those persecutions can do him no harm. St. Paul tells us that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's Second Timothy chapter 3. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The whole life of the Christian is carrying of the cross and a suffering of persecution. Let me reread that. The whole life of the Christian is carrying a cross of the um, uh, carrying a cross of uh, and suffering of persecution. Christ Himself says, "The serpent is not above his master." Christ Himself says, um, uh, "Well, I've just repeated that. My, my apologies. The servant is not above his master. That is." The servant of Christ has no claim to a better lot than his master, who is Christ. We must expect the men of the world, that is, those who seek their happiness in this life, to regard us, uh, I'm sorry, we must expect the men of the world, that is, those who seek their happiness in this life, to regard us as erratic people and as fools to condemn us and to hate us. To be loved and praised by the world is to be the enemy of Christ. The principles of the world are in contradiction with those of Christ. And the world as regards as a fool. And the world will regard him as a fool whom Christ declares blessed. It's the opposite. God declares someone blessed, and the world says, no, he's not, he's a fool, you see. And someone will declare someone a fool who the world and God will 
condemn uh, or declare as blessed. There was once a t-shirt that I saw and it said, we are fools for Christ, whose fool are you? We are fools for Christ, whose fool are you? We need to be fools for Christ, fools for God. And finally, number four. Uh, Well, not yet. We're still on three. I'll repeat the last sentence. The principles of the world are in contradiction with those of Christ and the world regards as a fool him who declares, whom, him who Christ declares blessed. Yet Christ tells us from Matthew chapter 7 that everyone that heareth my words and doeth them shall be likened to a wise man that built his house upon a rock. So now a wise man is likened to Christ, or Christ to the wise man who built his house upon a rock, who is steady, who is steadfast. And yet Christ tells us that everyone that heareth my words shall be likened to a wise man that built his house upon a rock. That's from Matthew chapter 7. Everyone, everyone that heareth my words and doeth them shall be likened Sorry, likened to a wise man that built his house upon a rock. He who trusts in God builds on solid ground. The patriarch Joseph derived advantage and not harm from being persecuted. The pious David, King David, was persecuted, first by Saul and then by his own son Absalom. From his own experience, he was able to say, Many are the afflicted. Many are the afflictions of the just. But out of them all the Lord will deliver them. All the saints of Christ have, all the saints of Christ have been persecuted. But God has turned to good the evil that their enemies thought to do them. If God is with us, beloved, who can be against us? If God is with us, who could be against us? If God lacks nothing, we will lack nothing. If God feeds his children, we will be fed because we are his children. Okay. Number four. Hence, perfect happiness is impossible on earth, for no man has entirely, can entirely avoid suffering. It's impossible. The end of the worldling is misery, as we've seen, and the just man is persecuted. No one can escape sickness, suffering, and death. The world is a valley of tears. No one can encourage, no one can escape sickness, suffering, and death. The world is a valley of tears. It is a big hospital, entertaining as many sick men as there are human beings. It is a big hospital containing as many, um, sorry, containing as many sick um, men as there are human beings. The world is a place of banishment where we are far from our country. We're far from our true country, our true home. 
in the world, good, in the world, good and ill, fortune, succeed each other like sunshine and storm. But it's not so. In the world, good and ill, good and ill fortune, succeed each other like sunshine and storm. Prosperity is the sure forerunner of adversity. In life, we are on a sea, now lifted up to heaven, now cast down to hell. Society is always more, sorry, society is always sure to be full of all kinds of miseries. Whatever efforts may be made to improve the condition of mankind, vain indeed are the hopes of the modern school of societal, um, of social democrats who dream of radically abolishing all evil, all evil and misery from the world. Oh, beloved, I know you can tell that I'm, my eyes are closing. It's part of this, whatever virus I have, it's really wiping me out. So I'm going to stop right there. And look at that. Nothing more perfect than for the music for our break, Saved by the Bell. Um, but you are free, beloved, and I welcome you to call in. I won't fall asleep during the break. I'll get some water. Call in with anything on your heart, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. At iCatholic Radio, we're blessed to bring you the good news of Jesus Christ through the latest of technology. But don't rely on just one of your mobile devices for listening to iCatholic Radio. Download our free app to all of your Android and Apple mobile devices, ensuring you never miss a show. That's iCatholic Radio. Great Catholic programming available for download through the Google Play and iTunes stores. Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails. And stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. This is Father Jacek Mazur. Please join me in a prayer honoring St. Francis Xavier Cabrini, Almighty and Eternal Father. 
giver of all gifts. Show us your mercy, and grant, we beseech you, through the merits of your faithful servant, St. Francis, that all who invoke her intercession may obtain what they desire according to the good pleasure of your holy will. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am awake. I got some water during the break. <laughs> um, and you're welcome to call in with any question on your heart. Um, I don't have all the answers, but we give it a good try. And then when we don't have the answers, beloved, we can... Um, um, uh, what am I saying here? We can refer you to people that will have the answers, um, hopefully. We have... Um, a call from Justin in Texas. Are you there, dear one? Yes, mother. Good. Okay. Go ahead, sweetie. Um, well, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. I'm getting married in July. I'm sorry. The call screener snuck. The call screener snuck that little note in, so I can congratulate you. Okay. <laughs> thank you, mother. Um, but my question is. Um, I I agree with you. I listen to your show a lot. I I agree with you that in most cases, um, natural family planning is immoral. Yes. But um, in order to get married, the priest is requiring that we take a full course in natural family planning. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what we should do about that, Um, you know, because out of charity, we want to respect him, but we aren't really for it as much as we once were. Right. Well, let me ask you this, Justin. Um, If there would come a time for serious reasons that, let me just say, your wife's health or whatever it may be, um, that you really uh, would do better to um, refrain from uh, marital relations, um, and again, through NFP, meaning, you know, I, I've never liked that it's been called natural family planning because I don't think we should plan our families. It should be natural family procreation or something. But um, but NFP was never, as you know, intended as Catholic birth control, um, but simply for extraordinary circumstances to uh, if someone is in in grave need physically uh, could be in other ways um, that they have recourse to the body God has created just to be able to track the natural cycles and refrain from fertile times. So if there comes a time in your own marriage for whatever reason that that may be something for you to consider would the course on natural family planning and how to use it more properly, would that help you? I think so. 
So you don't have but, to take the course to use it. You don't need to agree that you get married and use NFP to plan your family or wait till you, you know, have a home or whatever it is. You don't need to agree with that at all, but it may just give you greater confidence in, in knowing about it and how to use, how to use it properly. Just another. What do you think about that, Justin? I agree. Um, and that's kind of, you know, since I, I first thought about it being immoral after listening to you talk about it, and uh, I presented the issue to my fiance, and it, that's what we've kind of thought about it, you know, just go ahead and do it, and if we need it later, that's fine, but not, you know, planning the family by you know, abstaining to avoid children or... That's what I think is right, Justin. I think that's right. NFP is absolutely not immoral. If we use it as Catholic birth control without serious reason, then it is. Then, Then I think it is immoral. We should not be blocking procreative love uh, or stopping it in any way. But I think it's good for you to understand and your wife to be to understand the the functioning of the body and all of that so that if you ever if again if a circumstance ever happens where you you want to use it you'll just be more educated and more informed that's that's my thought it's not immoral in itself you know that's what virtue is virtue um there are many things that are not immoral but they become immoral when we use what god has given us for purposes other than the reason he's given them to us. See, um, he's given us great intelligence and we use it to create bombs to kill one another. That's immoral, but our intelligence is not immoral. So NFP on its own is not immoral if it's used rightly. Yes, mother. Uh, as, as a sub-question, um, yes. can you, we, we've been looking at uh, what Pope Pius Sixth and Humana Vitae has considered Pope Paul the Sixth. Uh huh. Pope Paul the Sixth has said in Humana Vitae about the grave reasons in which maybe um, natural family planning would be um, moral. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be a lot of ambiguity into what these serious reasons are. Right. Um, our particular situation is that uh, I'm a graduate student. And so we were saying, oh, you know, would it be okay to do that until I got out of school and was helping support the family financially, or would that be not moral? I do not think it's moral. No, I do not think it's right. Because if you feel you need to wait till you get out of school, then you need to wait to marry until you get out of school. You should not block the procreative uh, um, aspect of union between a man and woman in marriage. And if you get married and if you, on your wedding night, if you use any form of um, contraception, then your marriage is not consummated. So, no, if you want to wait until you get out of school to have children, I would say wait to get married. Don't block life-giving love. Uh, until you graduate, because then you'd be taking on your own agenda and not God's agenda. So I would say one of those two choices that 
you and your fiancé could take seriously to our Blessed Mother and pray in Ovina and let her lead you, let our Lord lead you uh, in that. If you get married, I think you need to be open to life. Um, uh, and if you feel you cannot be right now, then I would postpone your marriage. Yes, Mother. Thank you very much. Okay. You've been very helpful. Okay, God bless you, Justin. It, it, does your fiancé pretty much agree with you on these things? Um, at first, she was kind of shocked, but yes, we, we've talked about it a few times, and okay. we seem to be more on the same level now. I'm glad. Humanae Vitae is wonderful. I'm going to suggest you go a little further and read Casti Canubi. I think it's Pope Pius XI. Casti Canubi. Thank you very much, Mother. Okay. God bless you, Justin. And everyone else, um, feel free to call in during our break, and we will be back after the break. Our toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back, beloved. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. If you're new to iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download to your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community. Connect with us through social media and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with clarity and charity. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment, and I'm thrilled to be with you. And you still have time if you wish to call in at toll-free 1-877-511-5483. Um, or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from Jennifer who has, um, Dear Mother Miriam, I have a 12 year old son who has expressed a desire to attend the minor seminary for his high school years. That's wonderful. The program would begin next year and go until he graduates. It is a wonderful all boys boarding school within a monastery that obviously does faith formation as well as high school. His cousin currently attends and will be graduating next year with plans to go on into the actual seminary afterward. My concern is that the school itself is quite far away, and although I'm thrilled that my son might possibly have a calling that he'd like to discern, I'm not sure how I feel about him being so separated from his family. We'd probably only see him during the summer breaks, Christmas and Easter. He does have grandparents nearby. However, that would be more than... um, uh, He does have grandparents nearby. However, I think it means they would be more than happy to visit him more regularly. What are your thoughts? Is he too young? Should I possibly consider having him wait until he's in senior high to start the program instead of starting at the beginning in grade eight? Personally, Jennifer, it all it really depends on the maturity and the the well-being of your son. Um, if he is uh, starting at grade eight. Uh, if I had to choose both, I would choose the younger one. I would choose him starting early now in high school, not waiting to his senior years. By the time he gets into his senior years, based on where he goes to high school um, and who teaches him what, uh, he, the opportunity might be lost for him to get such a formation and an education. By the time he's a senior, he may not wish that anymore. He may have tasted the, the social aspects of the world enough to not want that. Um, I personally don't see anything wrong with a young man uh, beginning in grade eight to be in a minor seminary at all. Um, uh, I, I I know a particularly wonderful minor seminary uh, out in California that the Norbertines run, and it's they're wonderful. They are a monastery. Maybe that's the one you're speaking of. I don't know, but um, they're very wonderful. And and I would make this decision if your son wants to. Uh, it would be one thing if you're forcing him, but he wants to. That's huge. And I would I would want to see if I could follow through on that. Talk to the the priests there talk to the teachers on the subjects on how you determine if a young man is ready for a prep school or not but um let me just see i i don't see that you said that you've homeschooled him till now um but i'm all for it jennifer so personally i i'm for that uh it i think it's time uh at grade 8 for him to get uh, grade 8 would be about age 14, 13, 14 I'm guessing that's when a Jewish young man as our Lord himself 
um, uh, came into manhood through baptism. That's what we've continued in confirmation. And when a, a young man becomes a man, uh, I think it's not too young. But again, it's it's going to be dependent on the maturity of your son and his own desires and speaking to the priests at the at the school uh, with him. I think that'll help you a lot. Uh, I think the norm should be that he should be able to go. That that would be the norm. I think there should be an ex- if he wants to go. Uh, that I think there needs to be an ex- exception for him to not go. Um, we have a call from Nancy in Chicago. Hi, Nancy. Hi, hi, mother. Hi, dear. Uh, I had a question. As far how are you? It's I'm a just great. That, uh, mm-hmm. oh, great. Justin had uh, called about planning a family, and yes. um, he's trying to follow God's law. So I'd like to ask if there's any suggestions. How can we teach our youth that if they don't follow God's laws, there are consequences, and it's not pretty. Um, but especially when it comes to procreation. And, of course, I'd like to bumper that with God takes, makes good um, when we've made some bad choices. If we've tried to Say that well. again. God what? God makes good? God does try to make, make things good for those that love him. You know, even when we have horrible uh, decisions. Well, uh, he may, like he may not. <laughs> he, he may work it together for good That's or true. not. In any case, it'll be a lesson. And as you just said, half the verse... God works all things together for good for those who love him, and the rest of that is who are called according to his purpose. So we never want to presume that, but we know that God is faithful. Uh, Nancy, uh, your question is a perfect one, and that should begin from the moment the child is born. That's how we teach them. From the moment the child is born, we teach them di- the dignity of the human person, we teach them. We don't have to teach them natural family planning. We don't have to teach them um, um, the uh, theology of the body. We don't have to do all that. We teach them. I'm not. I'm not against these things, but we should teach them right from scratch the dignity and the beauty of creation and how God has made them and to made us uh, in all things. The Ten Commandments. Uh, if if the only way to be happy. Uh, is to know the truth, and Jesus said the truth will make us free. So if we wait till till a young person is in their teens um, and we warn them, it's quite late because they have not grown up. All they see it then is a law to forbid them from happiness uh, and from what seems to come naturally for them. The children need to be taught their whole life long that God's way is what is perfect, and that's what we always strive for is God's will and God's way. And how do we know it? Because of the scriptures and the teaching of the church. And so that's what I would do. We teach our youth, but we teach them beforehand. We teach them when they're three years old to not be immodest by speech, by dress, by how we act, by how we follow God rather than go our own way. It's a lifelong thing, Nancy. And as this proverb says, train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's the way to do it. Well, it's a comfort, and I'm present with my grandchildren. I have a short story about a modesty with a four-year-old. Okay. We were we were in a mass, and we you know mass had ended, and he we'd been sitting by the station of the cross where Christ had stripped of his garments, and he asked in the middle of the mass. Why is Jesus naked? 
So my daughter looked at me after mass and in the car. She said, let, let your grandmother tell you why they, why God was naked. And uh, God prompted me, I believe, that I said, well, the soldiers really wanted to hurt Jesus' feelings, so they made it a very immodest thing for him to be naked. So if you want to hurt Jesus, uh, be immodest. And he got it at four. So he stopped some of his... Um, you know, some of the dancing that they've seen and things. He doesn't do that anymore. He just turns Well, five. that's good. That's good, Nancy. I would uh, quickly take that with him and not let him grow up with that thought. Not let him grow up teaching people that uh, they wanted Jesus to be a modest. You're not totally wrong there, but the fact is that at four years old, he's old enough to know that Jesus died for us and underwent all that humility and all that suffering for love of us. You Much see, so it's not they wanted him. It's our sins that did that to him. So four years old is not too too young to learn that. Thank you. Okay, good, Nancy. Thank God you. bless Thank you. you. God bless Thank you, dear you so one. We have an email from Michael. Michael writes, Hello, Mother Miriam. I'm writing to you because I don't know what other recourse to take about my situation. I wrote to you previously about our bishop telling the diocese that we are not to kneel from after the consecration until the last person has received communion. We are not, yeah, I remember this. We are not to kneel from after the consecration until the last person has received communion. I still kneel when the priest holds up the body and blood of Christ and says, Behold the Lamb of God. You should. You should kneel. I consider this the second consecration and remain kneeling until I go up to receive the Holy Communion on my knees and on my tongue. Then I return to the pew and remain kneeling in prayer until the Holy Eucharist is put away. I'm not sure what you mean by the second consecration. Um, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At that point, of course, the priest is holding up our crucified yet now risen Lord. So it's not a point of consecration. I'm not quite sure what you're saying there. Um, Michael goes on to say, the problem is that two priests have told me to stand up to receive. I simply said no, and they gave me communion, but reluctantly. So all you need to do is speak to the priest after and say the church allows us to receive while kneeling. Um, Receiving on the tongue is the norm, um, and the church allows us to receive uh, by kneeling, and the church says that no one, including a bishop, can take that from us. So I'm not doing it to defy you, but because I can, and I think it's proper to be on our knees before God. Um, At least the priest gives you communion, even if it's reluctantly. Michael says, and now I have been approached by the deacon telling me that the clergy have received a letter from the bishop saying that we are not allowed to kneel to receive communion. It's not true. He may have received a letter from the bishop, but the bishop has that, does not have that power. The bishop cannot go against what canon law has declared. He cannot. He can write a letter and go against it, but he cannot enforce it. It's, he cannot stop you from kneeling. The deacon accused me, Michael says, of being in rebellion to the bishop 
who is a vicar of Christ. The point is, the bishop is in rebellion, rebellion to Rome and the Pope, who is the victor, vicar of Christ. Um, Michael says, I'm being obedient to Rome. It is the bishop who is being disobedient. You're right. You're very right. He said, oh, you are a traditionalist, and I take it you don't care too much for Pope Francis. I think I said something to the effect, I pray for his conversion. Uh, it's not a good conversation to have, because now you brought in a second, a second subject altogether. Um, Michael says, I've been praying about this to Jesus. I can't bear to approach his majesty, the king of the universe, anymore without the homage due to the holy of holies. I'm wondering if I will be excommunicated if I continue to kneel or that the priest will not give me holy communion. I am starting to dread the thought of going to mass. How can this be? Well, Michael, um, you just continue kneeling and receiving Christ and if the deacon or something happens, deal with it then. Don't stop in anticipation of that. Just worship Christ and do that. And uh, I wouldn't have the conversations with the deacon. I'd have them with the priest. And if the priest has a problem with it, then go to the bishop. If the bishop has a problem with it, um, you, you need to show him the writings from Rome. Uh, finally, Michael says, I value your opinion, Mother Miriam, and my advice, any advice you might give me. I know of no priest or religious person I can go to around my area concerning this, since they are bound by obedience to the bishop. Um, let me just say, we are bound by obedience in everything but sin. If the bishop denies anyone going on their knees to receive our Eucharistic Lord, that is sin. We don't have to submit in sin. Michael says, but I have gone to the same parish all my life. All the people I know go there. My parents and grandparents went there. Should I stop going to daily mass? I'm 70 years old. This is breaking my heart. Yours truly, Michael. Michael, dear one, uh, no, you shouldn't stop going to daily mass, but I would suggest another parish. Because even though it's been your parish and your family and everybody, it's a wonderful thing. But if you are going to be uh, attacked and not given communion on the tongue and kneeling um, as you wish to, then um, your priest is wrong um, and you need, uh, you need to be able to go to daily Mass. So I would say go to daily Mass and... Do not follow the bishop's instructions if he tells you not to receive our Lord. Um, uh, that's where I would stand, Michael. And if you, if if it's too much of a problem for you, and there's another uh, parish nearby, I would go to the other parish. Especially if it's a Latin mass, then you won't have that problem at all. Um, so Christ comes before the social aspect of the mass and our friends. Christ and the worship to him comes first. God bless you. We'll be with all of you tomorrow.